Blog Talk Radio. Today I have a really interesting, fascinating, and kind of fun interview with award-winning chief investigative correspondent, television host for Inside Edition. Lisa Guerrero is joining me in this upcoming chat, and she has a brand new autobiography out. Title is Warrior: My Path to Being Brave. And what a book it really is. It, uh, of course, it chronicles uh, part of her life and her amazing career as a television journalist. She's been with Inside Edition for 17 years now. And it's just a lot that she shares. It's a very candid book. So I just finished talking to her earlier today. And so I hope that you enjoy my chat with Lisa as much as I did. And once again, her new book is titled Warrior. My Path to Being Brave. And I would highly suggest that if you are uh, thinking of wanting to become a television journalist, this is a must-read book for you because she does, again, she gives a lot of candid information about her experiences and such. So let's take a listen to my chat with Lisa Guerrera from Inside Edition. Let's take a listen. Hi, good afternoon, Lisa. It is such a pleasure to chat with you. I've been a longtime fan of you and Inside Edition and Deborah Norville and especially you because I have an avid interest in sports myself. So uh, just a pleasure to talk to you. Amazing. Well, great to talk to you too and nice to meet you. Okay, okay. Well, let's jump right in here. You have a brand new, just released autobiography, Warrior. My Path to Being Brave. And I just have so much to unpack here. So first of all, I want to say uh, congratulations with Inside Edition. New season premiered last month. The show has been on since, what, 1989, I think? I believe it is. Well, we just passed our 35th anniversary, which is just, I mean, mind-boggling, honestly. It's, it's, it's incredible. It is incredible. And so you've been with the show about what? 16, 17 years? 17 years, 17. correct. That's, that's amazing. And as gorgeous as you are, you are, you chased those bad guys down because you were an excellent investigative reporter. Uh, just looking at you, people would never think, oh, my God, this is what she does, okay? <laughs> that's my secret weapon. They don't see me coming. And when they do finally uh, view me running up to them, um, they usually don't expect me to ask the tough questions that I ask. So it's kind of a secret weapon, and I love it. And you do ask some very tough questions, very tough ones over the years here. So let's open up the pages of your book here. Uh, First of all, why did you decide to write your memoirs at this time in your life? I felt like it was, you know, there's a lot of division in this country, and there's a lot of mistrust of the media. Mm-hmm. And I had been thinking about writing this book for a long time from the perspective of a woman in sports. But then as my career progressed, and I got into news reporting, 
and then investigative journalism, I realized that a lot of people were really interested in what happens behind the scenes in the media, in sports, as a woman in the locker room, as somebody who chases criminals. And everywhere I went, people had a thousand questions for me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to write the book. And it's going to answer a lot of questions, but it will also allow me to kind of write a love letter uh, to my younger self and to forgive my younger self for some mistakes I made along the way. And finally, I wanted it to be a cautionary tale to other young people who were considering a career in journalism, media, entertainment, or sports. And so I find that I'll to write the book. I wanted the book to be really unflinchingly honest. And in order to do that, I had to go back and look at my old journals, that old data tapes, the VHS tapes of my work, and, you know, interview people from my class. And what I discovered was that the book I thought I was writing, which was kind of a humorous set of essays about a woman in sports, was really not funny. What I went through was traumatic. And it really changed the angle of my book. And so the book became something that I thought was painful to write, but an important piece of historical um, journalism. I wanted people to know what it was like for a woman that looked like me, that came from my background, that has the last name Guerrero, um, you know, that had the backstory that I had. I wanted people to know what challenges I faced and, more importantly, how I overcame those challenges. And to further speak of uh, your last name, which you so beautifully just pronounced, I will never be able to pronounce it that well. <laughs> but tell, share with people. Uh, say Guerrero. I, you, you know that well. You right. know. You know that's what I'm going to say, Guerrero. <laughs> but. Yeah, exactly. It's easier. Yeah, uh, but you just did it so beautifully. Oh, my goodness. Um, So tell everyone the the real meaning of your last name. So uh, part of my book recounts uh, a moment when I was eight years old. My mother, Lucy, who was an immigrant from Chile, uh, had just been diagnosed with lymphoma. And she was told she did not have very long to live. She was just 29 years old. She called me into her room towards the end, and she said, Lisita, never forget that your last name, Guerrero, means warrior. You were born to fight. I had no idea what that meant. You know, she passed away a couple of weeks later, and as an eight-year-old girl without a mother, whose last name was actually Cole because my dad's last name was Cole. He was American. I didn't know what she was trying to tell me. My last name is Guerrero, and Guerrero means warrior. I didn't understand that, and it took me decades to unravel the importance of that last name, the connection to my heritage, and what that means for all of us, trying to tap into our inner warriors because I believe that all people are warriors. We just need to give ourselves permission to be brave and to fight the battles in front of us every day. 
Now, earlier in your career, because uh, in addition to being a television journalist, uh, as we a lot of us know, you've been an NFL cheerleader, you were a model in your teen, uh, as the late teens and such, early 20s. Were you ever encouraged to change your name? Because as we know, a lot of famous people earlier on their careers who had different heritage, they were encouraged to change their names. So what about in your case? So my story has a little bit of a twist. As I mentioned, my dad's American and I was born in the Pole. So very kind of English, all-American name. But because I knew as I got older that I wanted to identify as Latina, and I wanted to really cement my, you know, my connection to my mother and my heritage, I decided as an adult to change my last name legally from Cole to Guerrero, my mother's last name. But first, I checked with my dad. Because I, you know, he raised me and he's wonderful and thank God, knock on wood, he's here today and healthy and happy at 85. But when I was younger, I went to him and I said, Dad, what would you think if I changed my last name to Mom's last name and became Lisa Barrero? And he got so emotional and he teared up and he said, she would be so proud of you. Yes, I give you my blessing. Yes, you are Lisa Guerrero. And so um, when I started in the business as Lisa Guerrero, I did have an early manager, and he said to me, first of all, Guerrero is too hard to pronounce, and secondly, as Lisa Guerrero, you will only be cast as a maid or the girlfriend of a gang member. Um, you will not be auditioning for mainstream leading lady role with that last name, so you should change your last name, and instead... I changed my manager, and I found yes. a female manager that loved my last name and loved my ethnicity and everything I bring to the table, and so I have never looked back. I have always been Lisa Guerrero. Oh, so, such a wise move. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for saying that and letting people, women especially out here, know when you run into those kind of janky situations like that, maybe it's the person you need to change up on, you know? Correct, correct. And that goes with everybody in your life, professionally and personally. Yes, exactly. So, well, now, in addition to Inside Edition, uh, you also host Secrets of Playboy on A&E. And you once modeled for the Playboy brand earlier in your career. So I understand that you were not exactly all that impressed initially the first time you met Hugh Hefner. Tell us about that. It was really a strange situation because I was young. I was, you know, I started to be a swimsuit and fitness model in my late teens and early 20s. And Playboy at the time had a modeling agency attached to the brand, but you didn't have to be a playmate or pose nude or anything to be part of the Playboy modeling agency. They represented swimsuit and fitness models as well as playmates. So I signed with them to do fitness campaigns and swimwear campaigns. But part of the deal was every Friday night, you had to go to the movie screening at the Playboy Mansion. And I was really intimidated to go to this thing. I didn't drink or do drugs. I was really nervous about all these dirty old men running around the Playboy Mansion. (laughs) And I had no interest in being anywhere near that world. 
But because I was signed with the agency, I had to go. So because I was kind of a starving actor model, I brought with me in a bag empty Tupperware containers. And I would go to the screening, and they always had a big buffet. And while all the men were and young women were in the movie theater watching the movie, I would sneak out to the buffet, fill all my empty Tupperware with food, <laughs> and then get into my car and leave. And then I could say, okay, I was there, but I didn't stay the whole time, and I stole food, basically. <laughs> um, one time, I was coming out of the bathroom, and uh, Hugh Hefner was coming down the corridor um, towards me. And he saw me, and of course, back then I was young, and I had sweet blonde hair, and I probably looked like his type. <laughs> and he, he leaned in to kiss me right on the mouth. I had never even met the man. And I turned my face, and he, like, slobbered on my teeth. And he was so angry. He had a flash of anger in his face that I turned my cheek. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. I got to get out of here. I'm going to get fired from this agency. And thankfully, he was surrounded with a bunch of people that kind of, you know, swept him away. So he didn't get my name. But I, I remember just thinking he was disgusting. Years later, decades later, I actually had the opportunity at 40 to pose for the cover of Playboy, which I did after my sportscasting career had come to a horrific end. And so I thought I would use the platform that they could provide me to be on the cover and then use the press to tell everybody I wanted to be a news reporter now getting into entertainment magazine reporting. And Inside Edition saw me on the cover, did a story about me, and they offered me a two-year contract as a West Coast correspondent, and that has now turned into a 17-year career with Inside Edition. So in a way, I have Playboy to thank for my Inside Edition career. The, what an amazing turnaround there. That that was amazing. That was amazing. Well, wow. to further say, I've got a couple of last questions here. And to further speak of your, your football television career, uh, you were on Monday Night Football. I mean, it's, and I'm a huge football fan, so... I, I mean, I remember watching you, and so it seemed like it was like the dream job to have on the surface, but oh my goodness, Lisa, can you just share with us the tragedy that happened for you while you were live on the air. Yeah, I was, you know, I had had a decade of a forecasting experience behind me mm-hmm. by the time ABC came calling and asked me to be on the sidelines for Monday Night Football. I had been an anchor, a correspondent for many years, both in Southern California and then on the national platform at Fox Sports. So when I got the job with Monday Night Football, I had a lot of experience in sports, but I had never done sideline reporting, which is different than anchoring or being a beat reporter, et cetera. But, you know, they said it's going to be a little bit different. We want entertainment, meet sports. And you're not just going to be on the sidelines doing X's and O's. You're going to be up in the stands talking to team owners and celebrities and fans. And it sounded like a lot of fun, so I accepted the job. Little did I know that immediately when the announcement was made that they hired me, I was going to be widely criticized by the sports media. They didn't think I deserved to be there. 
They thought that I was just a swimsuit model or a Ram cheerleader. They called me a bimbo. I was slut famed by the entire, including USA Today, the New York Times, all of the ESPN, sports radio. They all just crapped me before I ever picked up a microphone. And that really deeply affected me. I was hurt. I was humiliated. I was famed. And additionally, I've had an executive producer on Monday Night Football who was a screamer. They call them screamers in sports. He would scream at me and yell at me. And um, that deeply took my confidence. I was scared of him. So every interaction with him, I would grow up. I would be shaking. I was scared of him, like physically scared of him. And um, so I had a terrible year. I, I lost a lot of weight. I wasn't myself on camera because I was so afraid of making a mistake. And finally, the first three preseason games went great. But the first regular season game, at the end of the game, I made a mistake. I misspoke. And although I quickly um, uh, fixed the mistake live, it was too late. I had already given the critics what they wanted. And so the rest of the season was just a barrage of insults and uh, criticism directed at me in the media. And uh, I found out late in the season that I was pregnant. I had been newly engaged, and uh, I, I really couldn't believe I was pregnant because I was so depressed, and I had lost much weight, and I was ill. I was very sick. But I was because I loved my fiance and I thought, okay, I'm pregnant. I only told him and my doctor, uh, it was early on, it was maybe about eight weeks. And the next game after I found out I was pregnant, um, I, as usual, was getting yelled at by my boss before the game. Um, I was nervous, as usual, to cover the game because of the amount of pressure and, and scrutiny I was enduring at the time. And in the second quarter, I felt sharp pain and cramping, and I was in the middle of reporting live to 40 million people on camera while I realized I was starting to have a miscarriage. At that time, I went into the official bathroom in the tunnel, and sure enough, I was just bleeding profusely, and I knew I was having this miscarriage. It was very painful. I was dark white. And instead of telling my producer and instead of calling 911 and getting, you know, an, an ambulance to the stadium to take me to the hospital, I just stuffed a lot of paper towels in my pants, buttoned up my long jacket, and went out in the second half, enduring the pain of a miscarriage, and continued to report from the sidelines. Oh, I took the plane home that night, and the next morning, my husband took me to my doctor where sure enough he said, you know, yes, we've had a miscarriage. And um, it was the most excruciating experience of my life. It was awful. But at that point, I knew I have nothing else to lose now. I've lost my dignity. Clearly, I've lost this job. I knew they were going to fire me at the end of the season. And now I've lost the pregnancy. So I have nothing left to lose. But I was wrong because after I really was fired a few months later, I considered suicide. Mm. I wanted to kill myself because I was so wrapped up 
in this notion that I'm a sports personality. And thank God I called my dad, I reached out to a therapist, and I did the hard work of building myself back and changing my, you know, focus of my career from sports news. But that was the darkest two-year period of my life. Oh, Lisa, I am so sorry to hear the rest of the story about this. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this said boss at that at that time when you finally did come back and after you know from from this horrible tragedy did he continue to berate you and others or I'm assuming others too or what was that like yeah he didn't know that I had endured this miscarriage and I still had a couple of games left and so yeah he continued to treat me the same and then I got fired he didn't even give me the courtesy of telling me that they had replaced me. I found out from a reporter who called me saying, do you have any comments about being replaced? And so, you know, this guy was just treated me really poorly. Um, once my book came out, and, you know, I, I write all about this in my book. And when the book came out, I thought, well, you know, first of all, there was an article written before the book came out about this period, you know, in my life where I talked about being verbally abused by him. And he called me, this is, you know, 17 years later, and I thought he was going to apologize. But what he did is he didn't deny that he verbally abused me. Instead, he said that he remembered it differently. He didn't remember doing this to me. How could I go to the media and tell them that? So anyway, that's also in my book. So no, he never apologized. And I'm sure to this day, he tells people that it never happened, or I don't know how he justifies it. But for me, I wanted my book to tell the story so that people would know how to look for red flags. The current me, the 59-year-old me, would have said, don't ever speak to me like that. Don't raise your voice at me. Don't yell at me. Don't use profanities around me. But back then, I wasn't strong enough to push that. So part of the reason that I wrote my book is to remind especially young journalists and anybody to recognize those red flags and to draw boundaries and push back against the bully. And finally, uh, this uh, particular gentleman, is he still working in television news that you know of? I don't know. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, but I still am. Yes, the most important definitely. part of that answer is yes. it doesn't matter where he is or what he's doing now. What truly matters is that after 40 years on camera, I'm still here and I'm still doing my job and I'm still fighting for survivors and victims of crimes and scams. Yes. I'm still here. You are still here and you're still as gorgeous as ever, if I may add that. Oh, well. my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's so kind of you. And finally, Lisa, how can people, fans, reach out to you to, you know, if they want to make comments if they, after they purchase your book? Again, the book is titled Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. How, how can they say hello to you? Well, there's a couple of ways. First of all, if you want an autographed copy of my book, um, I can autograph it to you and personalize it and send it right to you. So you can go to lisaguerrero.com, get a copy. And also, hey, guess what? I just joined TikTok. <laughs> so I'm at Lisa Guerrero Official on TikTok, and I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at the number for Lisa Guerrero, and I have an, a Facebook official page as well. So I watch all of those platforms every day, and I interact 
with all of our viewers and fans. I really love being able to be approachable and reachable and to have conversations that important. Well, Lisa, now that you're on TikTok, we really have to tune into your page to see if you're going to do any of those wild, crazy TikTok dance challenges there. <laughs> you know I will. Yes, I'm you a cheerleader. Are you kidding? Oh, yes, you have to. Well, again, Lisa, thank you so much. Oh, you've just been such a delight, and we'll see you later on today on Inside Edition. And again, the book is Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. Lisa, wow, thank you so much. This has been just a delight for me to chat with you. Thank you so much for giving me the privilege of your time. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Take care, then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com.